This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about building a strong workplace culture. We have gotten so many questions about this as COVID hit and everyone was remote, of course. But we feel like what we have to say about this is across the board. So as many of you head back into the office and others stay at home, your situation does not define whether or not this episode applies to you. And since COVID, like many other things, Highlighted the importance of strong workplace culture, we decided it was the right time to cover this topic in detail. So with that, we're going to jump into the four elements of a strong workplace culture. Number one, a highly functioning team. And I'm going to take this one. So here we want to talk about, again, highly functioning teams, but what that actually means. So as many of us, probably all of us have seen or experienced, it only takes one bad apple to negatively affect the team chemistry, the culture, and ultimately the success. So in order to have a strong and positive workplace culture, you have to start with the right people on the team. And the right people are honest, open, committed, and accountable across the board. Mm -hmm. And we have some probing questions here that we feel like can really help all of you internalize whether or not, and very objectively internalize, whether or not you have the right team. So here's kind of some priming questions. Do the team members treat each other with respect? As we've talked about in previous episodes, this does not mean that they have to like each other, but they do have to respect each other. Number two, are the members delivering on time and what you expected without you having to micromanage them and watch over their shoulders? Number three, is everyone clear, aligned, and brought into the goals or goal that you have for the team? So following one or a few single goals that you want to focus on and everyone understands those. And finally, do all team members have a path to growth and the ability to do so? So as we've also talked about in previous episodes, nothing can stall a team faster than having one or multiple members of the team feeling like they're kind of stuck in the role that they're in. And that leads to bad behavior, which then can very quickly lead to those bad apples we talked about in the past. So. We've talked about teams frequently in our episodes, and one I just want to point out before we move on to the next point is the one on vigilant leadership. So for bosses out there, if you don't feel like as a boss you have the right team or the highly functioning team that you desire, check out that episode, episode 16, Vigilant Leadership, The Art of Leading from Afar, and that will give you the framework to evaluate and make sure that you have the right team so as you jump into or accelerate or restart the strong workplace culture, that will help you with building the right foundation for that. And I just want to emphasize again in business, it's all about the people on the team and your ability, if you're the boss, to be able to lead them down the right path and answering all these questions that we just talked about. Yeah, and I think that episode is a really good one to help you really be honest with yourself mm -hmm. if you're starting to exhibit some bad behaviors yeah. as a result of being from afar. Um, and it's natural. So first of all, I want to say it's, it's totally, completely natural, especially if you happen to be an extrovert. But you got to be careful that it's not your own personal biases or your own personal needs that is driving all of the, the culture that you then set up. Because you have to be respectful, as you said, April, of what your team needs mm -hmm. and how they operate in a highly functioning manner versus necessarily what you feel like you need. Mm -hmm. And so what we were seeing when, when people are, are, are starting to be afar, when the leader is, um, is not like right in with their team, they start kind of gravitating towards the micromanaging. They start kind of questioning what is supposed to be done. And then they, a lot of times they have trouble figuring out what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So that's a really good episode for that. The other one um, that really talks about highly functioning teams too is that uh, the corporate agency mm -hmm. dynamics one mm -hmm. too, where we get into a lot of detail about how you make sure you have a highly functioning team and then how you put that one in operation. Yeah, I think that's a, a really, really good point. All right, on to number two. And Anne, I'm going to let you take this one. The second element of a strong workplace culture, clear expectations. Yes. 
And this is one that people struggle with a lot because we live in a culture, whether regardless if you're my kids or you are adults, <laughs> that everybody believes everything should be somehow fair, mm-hmm. right? And so the expectations become, okay, you treated this person like this and you treated like this person like this. So let me tell you guys a story, which I think brings this one to, to life and actually was a game changer for me. So I happened to get to work with Jimmy Johnson, who was um, the, one of the most amazing coaches of one of the most amazing NFL teams, the Dallas Cowboys, all right? Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> and he is actually truly a, a very remarkable human being and like one of the best messengers ever, like complex messaging, all kinds of mess. I mean, brilliant in being able to execute messaging for brands. Okay, so... I give him that gold star. But he was telling a story, and um, obviously, like, Troy Aikman's my favorite player of all time, so of course I had to ask about Troy. But he told this story about he was, um, they were all in a team meeting, and uh, he um, was um, speaking, and one of the players, who was not, like, a starter player, fell asleep. And he went over, and he just basically got in his face, you better wake up, you know, and he probably was using some other words than that. And, you know, listen, you know, and, and, and we have, you know, just talking about this, and you you falling asleep and then he benched him right and so i said hey well what would happened if um troy had fallen asleep in a meeting he goes i would have gone over to troy and i would have like shaken him very gently i said troy can you please wake up i'm i'm saying something kind of important here that i really want you to hear (laughs) and i was like seriously and he goes yeah he goes I don't treat everybody equally. I treat everybody according to the role that they're playing and how that I expect them to show up as part of the team, right? And so obviously he's not going to go to a star, star quarterback and like berate him um, right before they're supposed to, you know, get ready to go on the field. Now, you can argue with me about whether or not that's quote-unquote fair or whether that's quote-unquote right, but it's a philosophy that I started adopting not only with my family life but also with my teams mm-hmm. in that, listen – You're going to have top performers. You're going to have people that are struggling. You're going to have veterans. You're going to have people that are new. The people are going to be in different stages of their careers, and they're going to need to be treated differently. And they're also different people. And they're also different people who, exactly, that have different needs associated with your interaction with them. But what gets people in trouble all the time is they don't set up the clear expectation that for that's how they're going to operate. Mm -hmm. So then it it feels, as being part of the team, that it's quote-unquote unfair. But if you are diligent about going up and saying, hey, I expect you as the veteran of this team with the most experience to operate this way. And let me be very clear, this person who is new, you know, they're going to get a little bit of grace because they're still trying to figure it out. But you need to be that clear and that transparent for the entire team so that they understand what your expectations are for everybody. But I wanted to make very clear that it doesn't have to be equal across Mm -hmm. the board. It actually should not be equal across the board. And that is one of the biggest um, issues I see leaders having. Yeah, I totally agree. And and back to the point of, you know, how you grow up. I mean, I'm one of five, which I still have no idea with only two, how my mom managed that and got us all through and relatively successful. Um, But one of the things that my parents instilled in us early on was exactly what Anne's talking about. And I remember distinctly. It's me and then my brother and then my sister, Mandy. And Mandy is smart as a whip, but she could give two shits about her schoolwork, right? And so my parents started paying her for her A's. And my brother and I were like, wait a minute. We get A's all the time. Why why don't we get to have money for our A's? And I remember them saying, you know, do we give you the things you need when you need them? And, you know, I was thinking about it. I'm like, begrudgingly, yes, you know. And, and you know, and thinking about the fact that we're all very different kids is what they really instilled in us. And so strengths and weaknesses were going to be different. Personalities were going to be different. And so the way they were going to manage or, you know, raise each of us was going to be different. And if you look across us now, as I said, we're all relatively successful, but in very, very different careers. And so that's the approach that I took into my teams as well. And to give you a specific example of, of just, you know, further emphasizing what Ann just said. So I would always talk to my team about levels within levels. And that set the foundation right away that you might all have the same title, but that doesn't mean you're in the same place. And at one given point in time, you know, we had three supervisors, sure, but one was brand new. 
One was kind of in the middle and one was on her way out of the role. And so my expectations of each of them and their needs from me were all very, very different. And so had I tried to set fair or equal or whatever expectations, it never would have gone well. And so I just used to talk about them in terms of we're not comparing you to each other. You all lead different businesses. You're in different places in your career. You have different experiences before coming to this team. And we're going to capitalize on all of that and build individual plans in order to get you to the next level for you of whatever that might look like. And, you know, we're, we're leaning pretty heavily into coaching. If you follow us on Instagram, you've seen a lot of talk about this recently. And one of the women that I've coached for several years, um, we were having a discussion the other day and and she's a newer manager and she's really working hard to build one a marketing practice in the organization she's in and there hasn't been one before mm-hmm. and at the same time she's trying to build a team of people and prove the case for who she needs but then also cultivate the people that she has and so we had this exact conversation about expectations and and how to really build a team where people could respect and appreciate what what the others were doing, but it wasn't necessarily apples to apples or equitable across the board. And so what we worked on was some transparency for the team of building culture in a way that's like, all right, so this guy is our digital manager and lead, and he does this list of things, and we actually created a list of things that that person did. And, And the first step was really being transparent about what each person's role was, but then quickly building to the bigger picture of how all of that works together to cultivate the marketing team and the marketing team culture within the organization to then lead marketing for an organization that didn't have it before. And this is no small task for sure, but I think there's been a certain success in that. And then also the pressure comes off her as a manager, right? Because she then can do what is natural to all of us, which is cultivate each person individually and allow you know, me as the boss to internalize what those people are and what they need. And then that person to reciprocate in kind. And we help, you know, we build that plan individualized to each one. And so I just think it's it's so important. And just again, to reiterate what Ann said at the very beginning, it's not about fairness. It's about the right approach for each person. Mm-hmm. So, all right, number three, which I'm also going to hand off to Ann, a respectful level of transparency. Yeah, we, we just mentioned in defining the clear expectations for your team, you actually let everybody know that too. Like that's yeah. the level of transparency that is, becomes really important. And we preface it with saying respectful level of transparency because we want to make sure that you guys don't take away that that's your permission to be mean or, <laughs> right. rude or dicta- you know, be a dictator in, in the context of um, your your team, your team dynamics, because you got to remember that these are humans, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes, especially when you're not with them, it's easy to translate that interaction to be more transactional than to be more human-based. Um, it's much more natural when you're uh, face-to-face and, and live. So you need to really be careful that your tone and that your words are chosen so that you're very clear and transparent with regards to feedback, expectations, um, whatever it happens to be, next steps. But um, you're doing it in a way that still keeps in mind that the person you're talking to is actually a human on the other side of the line. And with that, it's really important then to have that expectation of your team and all the individuals within your team to behave the same way. Because what that does, it starts building integrity. Mm -hmm. And the integrity is so fundamentally and critical for a highly functioning team. And when everybody can operate with integrity, then you can actually do some really, really amazing things. Yes, I agree with all of that. And I will say a couple of things here. One is that as part of my teams, you know, Ann just talked about laying it out so everyone can understand. I would frequently be known to make the statement, if you don't want to know, then don't ask me. And what that 
started to be for the team was a level of transparency that I would go as far as I possibly could. And so to the point of Mm -hmm. treating people as humans, it's also respecting the people that are on your team. And so I was trying to provide them with the ultimate respect. You know, if you want to fill in the blank, understand truly how the company's doing financially or understand what it means when we lose an account or understand how we assign different people to different teams based on their skill sets and personality. You know, like those types of things were the types of conversations I was always open to, but also it put the onus on the person to really make sure that they were prepared and mature enough to have access to that information. Because there were plenty of times in my career where I was exposed to things that I had no idea how to deal with. And then I would take that on as my own. And it was really hard to separate where I had, you know, no control, no voice in those conversations. But I saw it all and I would get this like feeling of anxiety and pressure. And then I'd have to balance that with the fact that like that's not mine to solve or that's above my pay grade or all of those types of things. And so that was really, really foundational to how I would lead my team. Um, And then also, I think I've mentioned many times that I'm very direct. And one of the things that I had to learn was to nuance my type of communication and the transparency I was trying to share to not discourage someone that was on the team. So I remember one of my very first managing experiences. And I was thinking about this girl the other day where I was like, oh, April, like, number one, you probably shouldn't have been managing people yet. But number two, that was bad. Where she she did exactly what I told her not to do. And so I was furious. And I was known to fly off the handle early in my career. And so I was like, but you did exactly what I told you not to do. And I didn't even give her in a moment to respond of like, well, I thought this or I thought that. I mean, she just bust into tears and then she really wanted off my team. And it took us several months to rebuild to a place of, of respect. And so I say that too, because it, it's fine to be transparent, but you also have to think about your approach to transparency and then what that approach means to each individual person on the team so that you strike the right message that they can actually hear, internalize, and then be encouraged by instead of feeling completely discouraged. So, Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think what you hit there was also a, a nuance of taking responsibility yeah. within your transparency too, especially if you mess up or screw up. I mean, If you want to be a a phenomenal leader and build a strong workplace culture, you need to admit your own mistakes. Oh, yeah. You need to take responsibility for where you might have flown off the handle and you weren't respectful in your communications, right? You don't have the right to just do that because you happen to be the leader and you had a bad day that day. Mm -hmm. So there is an expectation, going back to expectation of you in that role, that you're setting the tone for the rest of the team. So if you fly off the handle when you have a bad day, then what your team is going to feel like is that they have the right to fly off the Mm -hmm. handle to the bad day. And everybody can have a bad day. And sometimes you just have to come forward in your level of transparency and say, that's like, hey, there's a lot of things going on with me right now. (laughs) Actually, you and I have done this too. Like we've shown Mm -hmm. up, I'm like, I'm just in a bad mood today. I'm I'm sorry if I say something like that is like really sharp or really cutting. Like I am just in a bad mood. So it doesn't give me the right to then be mean to April, but at least she has the preface of like, okay, she's in this place. So then she under I, she understands a little bit better. That doesn't mean she doesn't call me out when I say something, but <laughs> I mean at least it, you know it. She understands, you know, and so that's what you have to have that level of transparency too. You don't have to go into a lot of detail about what it is necessarily, but you you should be also show your human side that you're not a robot so that your team can feel okay about showing their humanity when they're having issues and they're not all bottling it up because that's also something that we see a lot happening is when a team member does not feel like they can transparently share with what's going on. There's indicators of that, like um, their performance starts to drop or they start becoming really distant or they don't speak up anymore in meetings. And it's usually because they don't feel comfortable being transparent. Yeah, I I think that's important because, you know, we're talking about strong culture here. And part of strong culture is knowing each other just really, really well. And an intuition builds on really strong teams or really strong companies in this way. And so it can be freeing for the person admitting that they're having a bad day, but it's also really freeing for the team to know automatically it has nothing to do with me. Right. And again, the respect part comes in and like, Never is anyone justified for flying off the handle and disrespecting someone. We're humans. We make mistakes. I get it. 
But I think what Anne says is really important in that I might not be showing up that day in the way that you're used to. And the last thing you want is your team tiptoeing around you or people feeling like they can't admit when they're having a bad day. But that just sets the right tone for like, you know, if I don't seem super enthusiastic, well, you know, the baby was up all night and therefore I didn't get any sleep. And so I'm not going to be enthusiastic today. But whatever it is, it lets everybody off the hook and allows people to do their job that day, even if you're not going to be the most powerful leader. Yeah. All right. Number four, the last of the four elements of a strong workplace culture. And we've talked about this, but this one really, I think, brings everything together and it's just so important. Remember, we are all human. It's called work for a reason, guys. It is work. It is not, you know, me out having fun and socializing and and all of those things. And it can be tough to remember that we are all people within whatever workplace culture we exist in. And I think, honestly, some of the, well, a lot of the humanity left when we were during COVID, right? And we had to readjust and we were all dealing with just the magnitude of what was happening in the world and then being, you know, respectful and patient with people that had kids at home or internet connections that were bad or all of those types of things. And I would say that across the board pretty much and anything I've experienced or heard from others, people really stepped up the humanity within this past year. And I would say take that into whatever your culture is becoming now as we come out of this and remember that we are all human and respect each other in that way. And yes, there were some things that <laughs> fell flat and didn't hit home. Like, you know, I'm, I hate Zoom. I've talked about hating videos, mm-hmm. Zoom happy hours. I was like, oh my God, I'm exhausted before we even start here. You know, care packages companies were sending to try to make people feel like they were cared for. Well, then that became kind of like, all right, I'm bored with this too. And so I would say, you know, those things can fall by the wayside or you can change them or whatever. But it's it's more important that we remember the humanity that has been extended to all of us and that we've internalized and, and to bring that into the cultures of the organization. I used to say all the time in the agency when things would get super stressful and everyone would be, you know, on eggshells or something would go wrong or a client was unhappy. You know, we're not saving lives, guys. There's not a patient on the table. It's not life or death. It seems huge right now. We will get through it. Let's just, you know, get rid of the emotion as fast as we can, acknowledge it, and then move on from there. And I think that that's really, really important as a leader to do, but it also breeds the right culture of respecting the fact that people feel bad or feel upset or aren't sure what to do, um, but addressing it humanly and then getting into the work of it, which is to fix whatever the situation is. And then the other piece is remember to have fun as a team, but not forced fun. So Mm -hmm. identify the personalities, you know, and like I said, you know them well if you actually have a highly functioning team. Don't dictate that people have to do things, but also identify when it's going to be good for someone to bring them out of their comfort zone. So I know that this individual listens, and I'm sorry right now for calling you out, but I won't say your name, so only people that worked with you will know this. But we had this guy on the team who was a brilliant mind, the kindest soul I've probably ever worked with, but he was very, very serious in the workplace, and it was really hard to get him to come out of that and be a human being. And he was also known for working the long hours. And he was a great team player because he would give you everything he had and work so hard. But with that, we had to remind him, like, you have a life outside of here, right? And so we invited him to drinks a few times and it took a little bit. And then all of a sudden, one day he showed up and it was like, you know, one drink. I'm not talking about like getting drunk with coworkers here. One drink. And all of a sudden he's laughing so hard. He's got the biggest smile on his face. Mm -hmm. And it just broke the ice for the team moving forward. Now, he was still pretty serious at work, but all of us had that point of reference of who he was outside of work. And it became, you know, good natured teasing or when he would get too serious, we'd be like, oh, you're doing it again. Time to go for a drink this week or, you know, whatever it was. But it built the right culture around his personality and embracing that, but also helping him come out of it when it was beneficial to him. And I think the other piece of it is, again, 
respect from a fun standpoint that everyone doesn't define it the same way. And so in the agency world, drinks are a big part of the culture, right? But everyone's in a different phase. You know, you might be dedicated to yoga right now and need to get to that six o'clock class and you don't want the team to feel like you don't want to be a part of it. So letting people go and say, that's totally fine. We'll, we'll pick a different day for the next one. Or, you know, people that have kids that want to do the pickup or even, you know, pets. I mean, I think those, you know, those are fur babies, right? So being able to have the ability to to go home or if you're going to plan a happy hour, say, you know, hey, Allie, you might want to go home during lunch and and let your pup out so that you can participate in this and allowing the leeway for that. So, again, it goes back to the point we were making before about setting the right expectations for each person. And then it's paired really well, I think, here with the idea that we're all human. And so making sure that you know people, you push them and you help them when it's going to be beneficial to them. But you also respect where they are and what their definition of fun is, what their priorities are and who they are outside of the workplace. Yeah, and I think to highlight a couple points that you said, one is we have as a culture this innate like tendency to take everything personally. Like yeah. it's always about us where 99% of the time it's not. Yep. So I would just use that and remind yourself that when something happens um, and just naturally think your natural tendency should be that's probably not about me. There's probably mm -hmm. something going on. Now, you know, if it happens consistently, maybe it is about you. <laughs> you probably need to have that conversation. But don't automatically think it's about you all the time because most of the time it's not. Most of the time there's something else going on in the background or um, there's some sort of situation that person's dealing with. The other point that I will reemphasize for you is as a leader, again, don't be so self-indulgent to feel like you have to have fun events. Yes. If your team is not that kind of team and maybe your team appreciates something else besides like a happy hour or a force fun event maybe they appreciate like an educational something or other that they want to you know be a part of and want to go build but or maybe they want um they find that if you gave them a 20 dollars gift card to go have dinner with their spouse because they've been working really long hours maybe they find that helpful or maybe they find that as a token of humanity so really think about it and and again don't self-indulge in your own personal needs of what you feel like you want because it's actually when you become a leader it's not about you anymore mm -hmm. it's about your team and doing what your team needs in order to be able to foster that culture that's going to make them be successful yeah and i mean interestingly that that guy i talked about that was super serious i mean one of the rewards we gave him was a dinner at jeff ruby's with his wife because i knew and i know her <laughs> that that you know she was getting a little irritated by things and so we did that and we also made it time bound and so we were like, within the next six weeks, we want to see a reservation. And here's the company <laughs> card, but you're taking her out. So in any case. Yeah. And and also, just don't force anybody to participate if they don't feel like it, too. No. I mean, that's always like a bad, bad way to go. Yeah, exactly. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right. So our next segment for all of you listeners out there is in the trenches, again, where we give real world examples that might be specific to industries and situations. And in this case, they're probably pretty personal to Anne and me. But you should be able to see yourself in them and the broad application for you to be able to, one, digest and then go put into action. So the first in the trenches, give a good and bad example from your experience of culture. This could get interesting. This could get interesting, but we're going we're gonna to keep it above board and, <laughs> and educational. Let's just offer that caveat <laughs> reminder to ourselves. Um, so I will go first here. So without mentioning any company or, or any names, um, I would say that as I reflect back, you know, one of the very best teams, and there have been several that I ever worked on, and, and it wasn't just because it was an opportunity for me to build a team. It really was because it was the right 
it was just the right time in so many ways. We had so many good people and good people that we wanted to bring into the organization. Um, the culture of the organization was really thriving. We focused very hard on that culture and preserving it. And there were some things that I would say from the outside might have looked kind of ridiculous to people, but it was just so important to us that we felt like we had to do it. So for example, um, my boss and I, because we were identified as two people that really were great at identifying candidates that were a good cultural fit, were in all of the interviews for the organization. And at that time, we could swing it because we weren't 100 people, right? We were high 20s, I think. But we were kind of the culture police. And so we would interview typically together because that dynamic seemed to work really well. And we were not assessing skill sets. And in some cases, we wouldn't have been able to because they were in a completely different department than us. But we were trying to figure out, were these the right people for the organization, not necessarily for the job? And we did that for a couple of years, and it just really nicely helped us grow, but also find the balance of preserving all the great things about the company while also allowing these new people to come in and bring new life into things. And the synergies that were built, um, the diligence that we had around that, and the fact that we just continually were bringing in the right people just made everybody more excited to bring in more people versus kind of what happens sometimes, I think, is that like us versus them, old versus new mentality, which I've also been a part of. And what can happen there? And then I think, you know, we had um, directive from the top. So the owners of the organization understood that there was something magical about the culture and that a lot of what we did could be viewed as a commodity. And we were very honest about the fact that our culture, you know, I mean, we got feedback all the time that people loved working with our people versus, mm -hmm. you know, and our work was creative and fun. And, you know, in a corporate environment, when you come to the agency, you know, that should be a good time. But just um, respect and appreciation and a lot of compliments for who we were hiring and, you know, what they were providing beyond just the work that we were doing. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, one of the testaments to that in my mind, you know, that might be rose-colored glasses, you know, something I look back on and I'm like, oh, that was a great time, you know, all of that. But the bonds are still there. And mm -hmm. I think that if you can, you know, spend some time reflecting on the teams you were a part of. I mean, just the other day, I had a former client reach out who I'm – um, have continued to stay in touch with and and pretty tight with at the moment. And she was asking for something that I didn't have. And I reached out to two of the people that reported to me at that point in time on the team that had worked on the business. And within minutes, I heard back from both of them. And they both went through and kind of dug through. And unfortunately, it was kind of a needle in a haystack situation. So I wasn't asking them to spend a bunch of time, but just you know, happenstance if they had it. But the fact that they got back to me right away made me feel really good about the fact that we're still there for each other, mm -hmm. even though we might not see each other and worked work with each other every day. So that's my really good example. I mean, just great people, but also people committed. Um, the ability from the top to have the allowance to do things a little differently that might not have been super efficient, but really paid out for a period of time in that organization where we were doing the right things and we were humming along. And then on the other side, and I'll give you my bad example, and I'll hand it over to Anne, again, without naming uh, an organization, and I'll try to be even less uh, give clues even less than I did before so I don't get myself in trouble. But I worked in an organization where there was definitely an in crowd and an out crowd. And it couldn't have mm. been more apparent. And it was a pretty large organization. And so the fact that this divide was there just still to this day amazes me. And the silos that existed and just the oppressive feeling when you would walk in of just like the dark cloud over everything, lots of whispering going on. Mm. And people that I felt like were just, if you were out, you were surviving. And it was very clear that you were a part of the out crowd. If you were in, you were loud, you were bubbly, you were having a good time. And oh my gosh, inside jokes and all these secrets. And it just gave this really nasty culture on both sides, quite honestly, in or out. I think people were acting inauthentically to who they were and the culture just suffered so much. And I remember knowing within the first two months of being there that this was not a good fit for me. And I also remember one moment where 
part of the in crowd, which started at the top, someone was leaving. And there were four people standing up at the podium, again, telling all these inside jokes and, you know, handing out all this love to this person, while the rest of us kind of stood around awkwardly like we were observing a television show versus participating huh. in the situation and wishing this person well and wishing them goodbye. And at that moment, I was standing there with my glass of white wine and I was like, this is it. I'm done. I'm leaving. I can't do this anymore. And so I think that's just an example of of really knowing when it's not not for you, but also just a warning about what can happen. I mean, we all have people we gravitate toward and we have organizations that fit us better than others. And all cultures are different for sure. But this was an example of it was coming from the top and it was coming from the top, not in a good way. And it just left a bad taste in my mouth. And even to this day, it's it's a caution that I offer to anybody. And I don't even know if it still exists that way, but that's my memory of it. And that's a culture that just really became nasty over time. It's like high school. It was like high school. Goodness. It was very much like high school. Yes. All right. My turn. All right. So my good example, and, and honestly, I will say that um, within my 20 years at PNG, I didn't really experience a bad culture because giving props where props are due, everybody at PNG really focuses on really cultivating good culture. So I'll say that. But if I was going to double click down into it, I would say one of my most favorite times was working um, in my agency relationship with Taylor Global. Um, If you guys are looking for a PR agency, I highly, highly recommend them. They're known for their sports PR, but they also do phenomenal lifestyle PR. And just as an indicator, we're going to have two of my former people that I uh, connected with, one of my uh, agency um, folks, uh, Stan Gadd and Sam Baer. So they've been guests on our podcast. So that's just an indicator that um, how much I really appreciated them and and liked them. There you go. Well, and Anna's told you there are just as many people that she doesn't care for. So if you're on the list of care for, you're you're good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're on my, they're on the in crowd. Um, And the reason why um, this was such a phenomenal relationship was because it wasn't the typical, <laughs> what do we call the agency corporate divisive like nature. And we've talked about that. We've mentioned that, that we have a podcast on that. They really broke the mold on that. And the real reason why was because we were such a highly functioning team. There was a tremendous level of respect. There was a tre- tremendous level of respectful um, transparency. There was integrity. And we could operate as a team without fear of retribution. Mm. And if you listen to the podcast from Sam and Dan, they also alluded to the fact that there was a lot of robust collaboration. Mm-hmm. That didn't mean that it was like a nice fest. Actually, some of the <laughs> some of the conversations back and forth were like really intense. Uh, and but after that was all said and done, we're like, hey, are we in a good place? Yeah, we're in a good place. We, this is a better place than we are. Let's okay, let's go grab a drink or let's you know let, we, we feel good about that. I never for one moment had to worry that um, whatever I was I said or whatever directive I gave and. And as um, they will attest to, I had pretty high expectations. It didn't matter. They never went behind my back. Mm-hmm. Like, I never had to worry that they were going to go behind my back and, like, say something to my boss that actually then drilled down to me, which happened with a lot of my other agencies. You know, so I could actually, like, expect good work out of them, and they actually delivered. I mean, and it was phenomenal to be in that team and create such fantastic work and be able to do so so honestly and not let it get personal. Now, there was a couple of times where I did go um, too far and they had to call me on it, but it was the the partner who was actually um, you know, a, a good colleague of mine too, who had, we had a lot of respect with, from each other. He called me directly and said, hey, you may have gone too far on this. I'm like, well, thank you for telling me. I'll go back and fix it. He didn't call my boss to go tell that and, and to have me like, you know, uh, get in trouble. I mean, it was a highly respectful, very transparent, just team who was all about doing really good work and was committed to anything that it took to get there. So I would say that was probably... One of my very favorite relationships, and it um, extended for like 10 years like that I was there and continually wanted to work with them and then actually um, was able to recommend and endorse them. And they were able to pick up even more work within you know, P&G because that went with them mm-hmm. and people could count on them for the same level of uh, respect, transparency, and just really phenomenal work. So that is my good example. So um that. 
I will go to my bad example. And actually, I'm going to take it out of the work environment a little bit because I am just recently been <laughs> engaging with this again. And so my bad example of culture is high school sports. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the reason why, okay, so I, I have a 17-year-old and she's gone through and, and progressed through high school sports. I have a eighth grader who's turning into a, uh, who's going to be a freshman and um, she is going to also engage in high school sports. We have been trying to figure out when we're going to go on vacation for the summer because all of August is now mandatory practice. And then in June and July, they have trainings and then they have these scrimmages that they're ex- they're not expected. Like, it's, let me say it this way. They, it's, it's, it's volunteer, quote unquote. You don't have to be there, but you kind of do. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm like, can we not even go on vacation anymore? I'm like, what is wrong now that there's an expectation that a sport that is in the fall is now all year round? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know like how it was when you were in high school, April, but like I ran cross country and I ran track. When I was in cross country season, I was in season. When season was over, you could go play something else. Mm-hmm. Maybe you would continue to run. Maybe you continue to train. Maybe you did a different sport. But my coaches didn't see me again or I didn't engage with my coaches until track season. In fact, it wasn't allowed. Right. Yeah. And then in the summer, it was like, okay, here's your running schedule for the summer. Sometimes you get together for fun runs, but there was no expectation that you were going to show up at practice on a regular basis. And the training didn't start till like a week or so before school starts, not the whole month of August. Mm -hmm. So I just think that that culture is becoming so intense for these kids that one, they have no flexibility to be Mm -hmm. able to do anything else. Um, they feel obligated to have to participate in everything. They're getting extremely burnt out. They're, I think I've seen some of them where the schoolwork is suffering because they're spending like three hours, four hours at practice. I'm like, when are they getting their schoolwork done? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just becoming too much. It's too much. Now, like my my kids also play club sports or my, my youngest does. And there is an expectation there. Okay, like fine. She has two to three practices a week. She plays on a couple of teams. She has games... We have to go travel for the games. I get that. I appreciate that. I signed up for that. High school sports is totally something different. And I feel like kids should be able to be kids. So that is my little soapbox moment. But it's also a really big indication that that culture, and I won't even get into some of the styles that the coaches are using mm-hmm. nowadays in order Just to where coach. I thought you were going. <laughs> I could do that. But I I don't know who's, yeah, who else will say it. I want to make sure that I'm respectful of people. But there's also, let me just say that there needs to be more education for coaches on how to be better coaches. I'll just leave it at that. Well, and one thing that I, I would say is that I actually think that that approach does the kids no favors in all the ways that Anne said. But also, I remember being in high school and while there was no mandate that out of season you train, you knew that if you took off running for nine months and then tried to go run track, you were going to be at the bottom of the barrel, right? Yeah. And so there was the onus on you as you matured and headed toward adulthood that, oh, okay, like it's more the life lesson stuff, right? Like, and and that, you know, we all have different drivers. Like I remember not wanting to be embarrassed. You know, there's yep. people who are super competitive. But you want to be good. You want to be good. And so- you learn to build the skills on your own and the discipline for yourself, and then it comes from you instead of what I think is happening now, which is this mandatory, and then, yes, you get burnout, and, but, but also they're just dictated to. And so once that goes away, yeah. it's like how then – like those are life lessons that I think are just missing in that approach. I think that's a really good point, and I didn't even think about it that way, but you're right. I mean, it, it is in a way that's almost militant in its mm-hmm. nature – and there is no room for the kids to actually assume responsibility yes. for their own development. And I think that's a really good point. And again, I go back to what I was saying sometimes about, you know, leaders being self-indulgent. I think sometimes coaches become self-indulgent mm-hmm. in thinking that this is somehow tied to their personal brand or their yep. reason for being or their equity. That And then they have to keep up with others. And yep. so it becomes like this cascading level of yep. like... Self-importance. Yeah. And it's... I Yeah. And the poor kids suffer as a result. And I don't get it. All right. Number two, can I successfully work within a culture that does not match my own? My favorite answer, as you all know, it depends. But what I will say about this is 
let me just use my example of bad, okay? So I told you all the problems with the culture and the experience overall and the fact that it was detrimental to being happy in the workplace. But I will say that I was really successful in my role in that company and I learned a lot of stuff and I did find some people that I'm still connected with today, but my heart wasn't really in it overall. And I will say at that point in my career, it was okay though, because I was planning a wedding, I was moving into a new stage in life, I was recognizing that I needed to find more balance and at that point in time, it was okay to just have a job, even though I knew I wasn't going to stay there long term, because I had other priorities that I was working with. And so let me just be clear, though, and say, I'm not saying I did a bad job. I'm not saying I phoned Mm -hmm. it in. I found a way to, as this question asks, be really successful and very proud of my work within this one little pocket on this one account that I actually ended up loving. And I stayed connected to that client long term. And so I was able to create a reality that was acceptable to me. And I had other things going on that fueled that kind of, you know, happiness in my life. And the one thing I also want to point out is the difference between a job and a career. So I very intentionally built my path, but by kind of taking one bite of the elephant at the time, right? So whatever I needed to learn and do next was what I was going to tackle. And so what that led to was different points in my career where it was a job versus really foundational to propelling Mm -hmm. my career forward. And so I think sometimes when you end up in a culture that you're like, oh, this isn't going to work for the long term. But if there are still things that you feel like you can learn or people that you love and want to stay connected to or there's growth that can happen for you, even though, you know, you don't want to be in that culture forever. Those are all ways that you can find a way to not necessarily match with the culture, but still be successful within it. And as part of all of that, I will say my learnings have been one, make sure you're clear on what you will and will not tolerate. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely legal stuff. There's ethical stuff there. You know, there's lots of black and white stuff. And I'm, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is the gray that happens. And even especially for young people. And for me, it was true as I was figuring out my career. I think that I gave a lot more than I got in a lot of situations. And I invested a lot more of myself than the organization gave back. So I think especially in your, if you're in a culture that you're not enjoying and it doesn't match you, I mean, stuff like doing the fun, quote unquote, fun stuff, even though you don't want to, you know, maybe that's one of your things you say, I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, going to the parties of colleagues, you know, you can have a life outside and say, you know what, I'm sorry, but I have all these other things going on. I can't make it. And so I would say set the parameters for yourself and set the parameters really conscientiously, knowing that you're in a culture that you really don't want to spend time in outside of what you have to. And then back to my point about giving more than I was getting, make sure that there's a match here. And, you know, part of this is just how I'm built and we've, you know, you can talk about fairness and all this kind of stuff. That's that's not what I'm really getting at. But for me, one of the foundational principles within me is that there has to be some match of what I'm giving to what I'm getting. And as I look back, every time I left a job, it was because that was really out of whack and I felt like I was taking being taken advantage of and I didn't see an out to that. So again, depends. You can work successfully in a culture that doesn't match yours, but you're going to have to be disciplined and figure out what that means, both for your day-to-day and your outside world, and making sure you can still be happy in yourself, knowing that that culture is not what you're really looking for. Yeah, and I think it's going to happen. And I think It you always make, happens. Yeah, and I think you, you made a really good point is that there is always something to be learned from that. And if you're always feeling comfortable then you're not really growing. So mm-hmm. sometimes you have to feel that discomfort just to make sure that you're constantly recalibrating yourself and, and, and growing and learning because it's not always going to be exactly what you want it to be. Now, that all being said, you know you have to look, as you said, from the short term to the long term, where in the short term, there could be a lot to, to learn and a lot to grow from. But the long term... You know, it can start becoming very debilitating Mm -hmm. um, and it could start taking a toll on your mental and your physical health. You have to know and be aware of when that switch is happening. All right. And it's not giving up. It's not giving in. It's not selling out. It's not any of those things. Right. It's 
moving to a place that you can thrive and in, in be a better version of yourself. So I think the moral of that story is short-term discomfort can be good. Mm-hmm. Long-term discomfort is generally not good. Mm-hmm. And I know us as women, we tend to stick things out way longer than <laughs> we should, all right? So you kind of have to call it. And my example for that is... um. And I'm going to sound like I'm talking about sounds in my mouth, but when I was at P&G, um, yes, the cultures themselves within the organizations are generally very well thought through. And there's generally a, a very transparent and very um, em- embraceive way of like making sure uh, people are part of that culture and that we're all treated like humans. That all being said, the company culture was starting to shift to a place where it was going to start acting like more of like the the big machine that it is. I struggled to work within a machine. I like to go do new things, break the barriers, kind of see what's next. And it was becoming very clear to me that that was not going to be my world. My world was going to be a box that I was going to get to operate in. I'm like, I I just can't do it. And I can't, especially can't do it for a, a long-term standpoint, especially on the back half of my career. And so that was what gave me the impetus to say, okay, I've got to start transitioning my way away from this company because of I'm not going to like where they're going to start putting me. I know what's going to happen to me when that happens. And so I did. Um, but that doesn't mean like the cultures within the specific organizations weren't still inclusive and, you know, in, 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 uh, it's something I didn't enjoy. It's just that the company culture in general, in this, in the context of operations, not necessarily the people per se, I wasn't going to be able to to get on board with. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point, too, because it isn't always necessarily a bad culture if it's not a cultural fit for you. Right. Which I think is the point you're making there, which, you know, I think is also something to consider. And then I just want to also say to what Anne said about you know, you learn a lot from cultures that don't fit you. I mean, one of the other women that we collectively coach said to me that, you know, we had a really good culture at the organization where she worked with me. And since then, she's experienced bad ones. And it has given her the awareness that, one, she doesn't feel like she embraced what she had when she had it. And two, she now knows the distinct difference between positive and negative culture. And so I think you do have to experience it. And if you're in it, just make sure you're not quitting before your time, I think is is kind of the point here. Make sure that you get out of it what you can and then move forward because you'll probably be better for it in the long run. Mm-hmm. All right, number three, I'm going to hand over to Anne because she loves this one. Mm-hmm. Who's responsible for leading the culture of the organization? The leader. <laughs> okay. And oh. who's the leader? <laughs> I'll elaborate. <laughs> Come on. Um, yeah, so, and you hear me talk about this a lot, that everything stops with the leader. So that is where um, all of the responsibility for creating the culture originates from. So if you're having a bad culture and it's or it's not quite embracing the level of um, effectiveness and humanity that's needed in order to be able to produce really good work and and, and have a really thriving uh, environment, that is goes back to the leader because the leader ultimately has to set the example for how people are going to behave. And the people are going to follow suit with however the leader is going to operate. It doesn't happen the other way around. A lot of times, and this happened, I, okay, so this just happened in P&G too, where um, it's like, well, I, we want the people to define the culture. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> people can't define the culture. The leaders need to define the culture and the leaders need to be supporters of the culture. Now they can take input from the organization and be able then to integrate that into how they are going to behave and they're going to act. But an organization can't act incongruently with how the leader is acting. It just doesn't happen because then there's a, becomes a ton of tension. Um, there becomes a a, a, like a missed expectation of like, um, is this okay or is this not okay? You know, so there's a, just too much like bad stuff that starts to to propagate when they're not in sync. So if you are as a leader, take responsibility for the your your organization's culture and start putting these things in place. You can definitely, like I said, make it collaborative. That's fine. But if you want consistency, if you want accountability, 
you need to set that, establish it, and live it as the leader. Yeah, and and part of that is helping people to understand what the culture means. Yeah. Because I think the danger with we're going to let the culture define itself, which I've also been on the receiving end of that, and it's just depressing, but is is you're not then you're leaving it open to so much interpretation that every person there can say it, do it, live it a different way. And so it absolutely... And sometimes it's in conflict with somebody else. Exactly, exactly. And then I think the other thing is, is it becomes really subjective. And as we've mentioned, you know, bad cultures can kill the organization, the, you know, the high performers, the, you know, the client expectations and also, you know, how they feel about you, all of that kind of stuff. And so it definitely has to come from the leaders. And I, and I think it's a lazy way out to say we're just going to let it develop because that's not being a leader then. That's just allowing people to kind of run whichever direction they want. And people need to know what they're signing up for. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we talked a lot about um, in a previous episode of Ray Dalio and Bridgewater and how they have a very um, candid culture (laughs) to to the point where it's um, some people would call it abrasive or overly transparent. But, you know, he's very clear that this is the culture you're signing up for when Mm -hmm. you come in this organization. You know, there's no like, you know just dilemma or like, you know, circumspective, like, is this what it really is? He's very clear. This is what it is. You know, so you you need to have that level of transparency with what, again, the clear expectations are with regards to how you want people to engage in this culture. And then it has to start from the top down. Yeah, Yeah. totally agree. All right. Our fourth and final in the trenches question. What if we don't have a good culture? How can we fix it? Or can we fix it? So first... We've talked about this. We talked about it just in this previous question. It has to be a priority at the very top, and you have to have the support of the organization at large. If you don't have that, there's no way you're going to be able to build an effective culture across the board that starts with a vision, and that's what those leaders really need to be able to provide. Once and if you have that, there has to be a thorough and really authentic plan to roll it out. So one of the mistakes that I've seen made when cultures aren't good and and people think that, you know, they can just kind of put a Band-Aid on it, and this is typical of agencies, but, I mean, it happens in other ways, is we're going to rebrand. We're going to build a new culture. And then all that happens is the visualization, like the logo, the environment sometimes of the office, um, you know, the pictures on the walls, we move to a new space, you know, whatever the case might be. And, and there is some excitement built around that and some pride. But that quickly dies when people realize that it was a reinvention of the look, not necessarily the feel of the organization, and that the culture is the same as it was before. So what is, what is that piece that people are missing there? There's no investigation into why the culture's broken. There's no deciphering why people might be leaving. There's no dip into, you know, like whatever's going wrong, whether it's clients are leaving or clients are complaining or your employees are leaving or you're hiring people and they don't fit the culture. I mean, there's all different triggers and indicators of this happening. But what I think happens a lot of times is a reinvention that's not truly any sort of reinvention. And so that thorough and authentic plan is never developed, which means there's no redefinition or even maybe first-time definition of the culture you want to have. And so, therefore, people are left even further disappointed than they were in the first place because they got excited and thought there was going to actually be a change, and that change doesn't happen. But what's actually on the plan? Like, what things that you do you articulate as part of the plan? Yes. So what it looks like when it goes right is that there's actually a definition of the values of the organization. Mm-hmm. That usually sets the culture and the tone. Um, all the other brand elements apply. So we've been talking about brand positioning in previous episodes, brand story, brand character. You need all of those things from an internal and external standpoint. But the thing that you really need to define and hold to within your organization is the true values of the organization. And when I say true, I mean, 
again, you can't just phone it in. So you can't just tack up words on the wall like we're trustworthy, we're authentic, we're respectful, you know, like just these random words that I think people put up there because they think that's what they should be. But then there's no real development of what that means for the organization, including putting it in a tone that's relevant for the organization. So um, one of the examples I'll give is at a previous organization, we defined those kind of pillars of what we wanted to be. And it was a redefinition because we just doubled in size and, and needed to bring the new people in and not alienate the old people, all the things that we've been talking about. And so we took time to really, really dive in. We asked existing employees why they were here, why they stayed, why they came in the first place. We asked new employees why they came in the first place. We asked clients for their feedback mm-hmm. about us. I mean, we really did do our due diligence. And then we said, okay, this is who we are now. What do we ultimately on our best day want to be? And we did pick out those, those you know, pillars, things like being honest and, and those types of things. But then we took a, probably even more time developing a tone for us that we felt like hit the right culture for the organization and would be something people would be excited about. So let me give you an example, right? So a value, and these were posted on the walls. We handed notebooks out to clients. I'm not giving away any proprietary information. But so one of them was all about supporting each other and not having any sort of backstabbing, right? So, okay, like that's a respectful thing that you should have for other people, right? Cool. All right. And we did have some of that going on with the the you know new and old, and we wanted to make sure that we nipped that in the bud right away. But the way we articulated that for the organization was, I've got your six. And that's a military term of, you know, if something happens to you, there's all these people behind you to be able to support you. And I never get it exactly right. But something about being on the front lines and then being able to fall back. OK. Um, but the point of that was that it was in line with the creative nature of the organization, the fact that we always were known for doing and saying things differently than everybody else. And it was something that made you feel like you were in if you were part of that, knew what it meant, all of that kind of stuff. And so the clients, actually, the reason we ended up giving them notebooks was because a lot of them got really excited when they would see the different values coming to life. And they they wanted to be part of that enthusiasm and, and just, the, you know, part of our mm-hmm. culture in general, even more than ever before. And then what ended up happening is that those values, yes, they were posted everywhere. They're on screens. We, we held a competition, you know, for our graphic designers to draw and, and illustrate them. Did. Of course we did. Um, you know, we, we assigned teams to roll out each of the values. I mean, everyone in the organization touched the rollout and was responsible for a piece of it. And then from there, all of that, all those cultural elements became part of things like performance reviews. We handed out monthly awards based on who, like we rotated through the values each month, who, who performed the best and they got some sort of reward. We did an end of the year one where it was like all of the values who lived them. Um, and so we really went hard at it. Once we had taken the time to define it, get it through the right tone, Make sure that everyone was a part of building it and then continuing just the enthusiasm, but also the top of mind nature. And I think we knew we really hit it when people started kind of tongue in cheek mentioning the values, but like actually stating them. And so I remember one particular instance um, where someone was like, hey, could you help me with this? I got to go do this. And it was like, I got your six and kind of like pointed (laughs) fingers at the person, you know. And that was a, well, proud moment because that was part of my job as you know, head of strategy to help roll out the new culture and brand and all of those types of things. But, you know, that to me said, all right, as an organization, we are really embracing this. And again, I can't say enough about how much we really took the time to pause, identify we had an issue because we were bringing different people in that had never been there. We were expanding, we were growing, we were bringing on new clients, got feedback from everybody involved, didn't necessarily belabor it, but really, really thought about what was being said and sifting through to get to those key things and then making sure everyone was involved in the rollout. Not that they were involved in creating it. That was a core group of people, but they had to believe it too and they had to have some onus in it. And so I I would say it took about a year to really, really get it to the point where it was ingrained, where people were doing things like stating them overtly to each other. Um, 
But that's what I mean when I say, you know, you can't just put a Band-Aid on it. And where I started with this about organizations where they just flip the switch, do a new visualization, and then it's the same old stuff again. And the other part of what I just said there, you heard me say, is the diligence to keep it going. And so as we hired new people, one of the courses they took was in the values. Um, We vetted people that way. We let people go that way. We boosted people and promoted them that way. I mean, we had always been good at hiring for people's um, aptitude instead of direct skill set because we felt like we could teach them the skills, but we couldn't teach them to change their personality. And I think that just became much more firmly uh, transparent and also directly articulated when we went through that exercise. That's really interesting. And I think that's a really good point um, that a lot of people try to force fit people into a culture mm-hmm. it, that's just not right for them. Um, and you got to be really honest about that because it causes stress on the whole entire situation. So um, I like what you said about the fact that it became the filter mm-hmm. for everything, mm-hmm. for the hiring, the, the the firing, if you will, the promotions, the assignments, I'm sure. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So, okay. Third and final segment. We typically do where applicable a real world example of a brand who's doing this well or not so well. Now, since we are not within any of these organizations, we could take a guess based on success, but that doesn't really give you the transparency or what you've come to know from us. So um, we're going to say we talked a lot about our examples. I think we covered a lot of this with the brands or the companies we worked within over the years. So hopefully you can get a semblance of how to make things work well or how to fix things when they're going not so well. And so with that, we will close out and we will say go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.